Hi, thanks for listening. In 20 seconds or less, I wanted to ask if you would consider supporting the show with a one-time donation of $1 to $3. The funds go to subscription fees, equipment upkeep, and a general sense of well-being. Links in the show notes. And again, thanks for listening. Okay, on with the show. Chapter 2 Gary Sykes was worried about his paladin. The dungeon master was pissed and threatened severe punitive action. Gary had leveled up and finally received his plus five Holy Avenger sword, but now it looked like he was going to lose it. It had been a particularly nasty campaign, and Gary and his intrepid band had come upon a chaotic evil mage standing in the middle of the road. The mage, upon seeing her enemies, had gone into a trance. While paladins were always to give warning and never to use subterfuge when attacking an enemy, the mage was in a trance, and Gary felt he had to do something. He drew his sword, spurred on his warhorse, and cleaved that evil bitch in two. But now he was in danger, of not only losing his treasured sword, but also his lawful good status. He would no longer even be a paladin if that happened. All of this was of concern to him, but what really had him worried was the insinuation that his character had committed an act that was cowardly. Gary had poured his heart and soul into his character, meticulously learning and adhering to the code, both of the lawful good and of the paladin. Defend the defenseless, engage in no guile or subterfuge, never retreat nor surrender. Paladins were the superheroes of the fantasy world. Growing up, while some kids wanted to be a caped crusader, or some other of the infinite variation of do-gooder that sprang from the pages of comic books, Gary wanted to be a paladin. The fact that none of the other kids knew what a paladin was only pleased Gary all the more. When he would tell them what it was, they all wanted to be paladins too. But they didn't get it. Paladins were strong and could fight with expert skill. But the code was the thing. Gary didn't like a lot of superheroes. Was it really brave when you were so much stronger and quicker than everybody else around you? How brave were some superheroes really when they were bulletproof? Paladins were different. They lived by the code. If their enemy had no weapon, a paladin would not attack until his enemy had gotten his weapon. That was true honor, true bravery. He didn't see any caped crusader ever do that. When that mage stood in the road and went into her trance, Gary assumed she had armed herself, and he moved to protect his band. But now it had all been called into question and it was driving him wild. He poured over the manuals in an effort to make a case to the dungeon master, but it did not look good. In front of him, the control panel indicated everything was running smoothly. 
The station functioned at 60 hertz, and it was his job to monitor that and make necessary adjustments when needed to keep it that way. He glanced up at his dials and gauges. Before sticking his nose back in his manuals, he looked over at the two men sitting across the room. Mac Dillard and Reggie Sharp were meatheads. They were big and brash, and when they weren't down in the pits working on the generators, they were bullying Gary Sykes. Gary was not big, Weighing in at six feet two inches and 145 pounds, he was a reed of a man. A hawkish nose and stringy black shoulder-length hair completed a picture of the ultimate man-geek. The fact that he was 35 and had never even really had a girlfriend sealed the deal on just who he was. Right now, his nemeses were in front of the television. It must be a slow game, Gary thought, because they were unusually quiet. He didn't think it was football season, but it didn't matter what had their attention, as long as it wasn't him. If they caught him studying his manuals, blistering harassment was a guarantee. He was about to turn back to his reading when a visibly upset Beverly Sanders came running in. Gary stared up at her, shocked as she threw her coat and lunch cooler onto her chair and grabbed for the phone on the console. Gary liked Beverly, not because he thought he had a shot with her. He knew she was married, but because she talked to him like a normal person and didn't make fun of him for the things he liked. She was recently hired as the new records clerk. It was her job to get all the station's records up to date and in order. It was a job almost as mundane as his was, and the two, he thought, had become friends. Hey, Bev, what's going on? he asked. Beverly didn't respond as she dialed 911. She stood tapping her foot, right arm clasped around her as she clutched the phone to her ear with the other. Her eyes were welled up with tears as she waited for an emergency operator to pick up. Her face fell as she heard the words. We're sorry. All circuits are busy. Please try again later. She turned and slammed the phone down in its cradle. Why won't anyone pick up the damn phone? She said, placing both her palms down on the console and hanging her head. Gary looked sharply over at the meatheads, afraid that Beverly's outburst would draw their attention his way, but they were still transfixed in front of the television. Gary set his books aside and went over to Beverly. Hey, what's going on? he asked. Beverly stood and wiped the tears from her eyes. She looked up at Gary. I hit somebody with my car, she said, biting her lip. Oh, shit, did you kill? Are they okay? Gary said. Beverly wrapped her arms around herself and looked away. I don't know. I mean, I knocked them into a ditch, she said, cringing. A guffaw escaped Gary's mouth. Beverly looked scornfully over at him. He shook his head, trying to erase the reaction. Well, what did you do? Gary asked. Beverly turned back to the console. I fucking got out of the car and went to see if I'd killed them, she said. Gary was about to say something else when Jason Johnson came rushing in. The fact that his first and last name each began with J 
might have led one to believe that he was J.J. to his friends and family. But that would be wrong. Jason Johnson was far too uptight an individual for the relaxed moniker J.J. It was Jason with his friends and family, Mr. Johnson to his employees. He was usually all business, but tonight it looked like something had him rattled. Gary quickly started to look busy as Beverly just stood there, chewing on her nail. Turn on the news, quick, Johnson said. He did not even glance over at Gary and Beverly as he raced over to the television and joined the meatheads. We already have it on, Max said, as Johnson took up position between them. Gary thought he heard his boss say something like, Can you believe this shit? But he assumed it was sports-related and didn't care. He turned back to Beverly. Beverly stared at the phone then picked it up again and dialed 911. We're sorry, all circuits are... She slammed the phone down a second time and let out a guttural sound. Just then, Reggie called over to Gary. Gary cringed, pretended not to notice them. Hey, Gary, check this out. These guys look like those friggin' zombies you're always going on about, eating people and shit. Gary rolled his eyes. So it was to be the zombie apocalypse tonight, the hazing du jour. Gary was a classic nerd, and as such had a well-thought-out and fully developed theory about zombies and the day of their great rising. He loved to talk about it, but not with the meatheads. He glanced over at the others. The television was blocked by their crowding around it. Gary looked over at Beverly. He could tell she was stressed out and he wanted to help, but she seemed in her own world at the moment. He gave her a sympathetic look, letting her know he would be right back. Beverly continued to chew on her fingernail and stare at the phone. Gary trudged over. Look, guys, tonight's not really a good time, he started to say, but was cut off as he stood behind the men, all staring at the television. Shh, we're trying to listen to this, Gary, Johnson said. Gary sighed and looked at what they were watching. His face went white and his jaw fell. Over the scenes of gore, the news anchor was trying to offer commentary, but was losing the battle to his fear. Oh my God, he was just ripped apart! Chapter 3 On the screen, what appeared to be a fast-moving mob poured into frame from the left and swarmed over a terrified man. There was a frenzy of activity and screaming. Then, what was a human being only seconds before, was now being devoured. Blood and viscera flowed on the ground as the horde fed. The newscaster, visibly shaken, tried to maintain an air of professionalism, his voice betraying his efforts. To our viewing audience, I can only offer my apologies. This is live, unedited footage we are getting— but it confirms other reports, reports that what had first appeared in Colorado has now spread to neighboring states. If you're just joining us, we are now able to confirm that, well, I don't know what to call it, no official statement has come out of the CDC. But as I say, what started as a specious report of, and I can't believe I'm saying this, zombies, has now been confirmed in Utah, Wyoming, Nebraska, Kansas, and yes, my producer has just informed me, Oklahoma, 
all states bordering Colorado. Gary watched the horde move on. In their wake, nothing of their hapless victim was left. Is this for real, Gary? Are these real zombies? Reggie said. Sweat beaded Gary's forehead, and words failed him. On the television, the anchor continued his report. The footage was gone, and the newscaster stared, shell-shocked into the camera. What has caused this activity and, and why this is happening are questions we simply cannot answer at this time. We can tell you that what we are seeing now appears to have had its origins in Colorado. The fact that there has been an almost total media blackout in Colorado and the imposition of travel restrictions to and from that state has been a story we have been trying to follow. We can only speculate as to the link between those events and, and what we are seeing here. But it appears, well, we are going to show you some footage now that hit the wire several days ago. Footage that at first, because of its fantastical nature, was dismissed by every reputable news organization as a hoax. But now, now looks to be entirely truthful. Jostling images from a handheld digital camera as the operator tried to get his shot, replaced the newscaster. When the footage settled down, slow-moving people were seen. They shuffled along, seemingly mindless. Their expression was wide-eyed and slack-jawed. The news anchor tried to offer commentary. This footage, I am told, is from Golden, Colorado. Golden is a town west of Denver. What we have learned is that some kind of infection or disease is spreading among the populace at a rate never before seen. It appears to be transmitted by human bite. This is a developing story with precious little that we can confirm from official sources. But it seems that once infected, a person becomes highly aggressive and will attack anyone around them. After the attack, which seems to universally involve the infected viciously biting their victim, the infected appear to grow calm and return to normal. Reports coming in seem to indicate that at some point thereafter, within minutes but certainly no longer than several hours, the subject then enters into, well, I've said it just a moment ago, a zombie-like state. This is some of the first footage of the contagion we have, but it appears that as the disease takes hold of its victim, it turns them from these slow-moving wanderers to, to what we have just witnessed moments ago. As the newscaster fell silent and the video played, Beverly approached. I still can't get through to the police. I... Jason Johnson looked over at Beverly as the words caught in her throat. I know, it's unbelievable. Like something from the movies, he said. Beverly stared at the screen. Those people, they have the same look as the woman I hit with my car, she said. All eyes turned to look at Beverly. On the television, the scene cut back to the anchor, who stared blankly into the camera. We are now confirming, that is to say, to our viewing audience, what has happened in Colorado and surrounding regions appears to have reached our very doorstep. The footage we are about to show you is from downtown Woodford. I will tell you this footage is raw and uncut, so those of delicate nature might very well want to look away. All eyes turned back to the television as an elevated camera angle showed images of slack-jawed, wide-eyed people moving in the street below. In the background could be seen Liberty Bell Stadium.
extinction level. <laughs> 